Chapter Twenty of Good Wives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Good Wives by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Twenty. Surprises. Joe was alone in the twilight, lying on an old sofa, looking at the fire and thinking. It was her favorite way of spending the hour of dusk. No one disturbed her and she used to lie there on Beth's little red pillow, planning stories, dreaming dreams, or thinking tender thoughts of the sister who never seemed far away. Her face looked tired, grave, and rather sad, for tomorrow was her birthday, and she was thinking how fast the years went by, how old she was getting, and how little she seemed to have accomplished, almost twenty-five, and nothing to show for it. Joe was mistaken in that. There was a good deal to show, and by and by she saw and was grateful for it. An old maid, that is what I am to be, a literary spinster, with a pen for a spouse, a family of stories for children, and twenty years hence a morsel of fame, perhaps, when, like poor Johnson, I am old and can't enjoy it, solitary and can't share it, independent and don't need it. Well, I needn't be a sour saint, nor a selfish sinner, and I dare say old maids are very comfortable, when they get used to it, but... And there Joe sighed, as if the prospect was not inviting. It seldom is at first, and thirty seems to be the end of all things to five and twenty, and it's not as bad as it looks, and one can get on quite happily if one has something in oneself to fall back upon. At twenty-five girls begin to talk about being old maids, but secretly resolve that they never will be. At thirty they say nothing about it, but quietly accept the fact and if sensible console themselves by remembering that they have twenty more useful happy years in which they may be learning to grow old gracefully. Don't laugh at the spinsters, dear girls, for often very tender tragic romances are hidden away in the hearts that beat so quietly under the sober gowns, and many silent sacrifices of youth, health, ambition, love itself make the faded faces beautiful in God's sight. Even the sad sour sisters would be kindly dealt with, because they have missed the sweetest part of life, if for no other reason. And looking at them with compassion, not contempt, girls in their bloom should remember that they too may miss the blossom time, that rosy cheeks don't last forever, that silver threads will come in the bonny brown hair, and that by and by kindness and respect will be as sweet as love and admiration now. Gentlemen, which means boys, be courteous to old maids, no matter how poor and plain and prim, for the only chivalry worth having is that which is the readiest to pay deference to the old, protect the feeble, and serve womankind, regardless of rank, age, and color. Just recollect the good aunts, who have not only lectured and fussed, but nursed and petted, too often without thanks. The scrapes they have helped you out of, the tips they have given you from their small store, the stitches the patient old fingers have set for you, the steps the willing old feet have taken, and gratefully pay the dear old ladies, the little attentions that women love to receive as long as they live. The bright-eyed girls are quick to see such traits, and will like you all the better for them, and if death, almost the only power that can part mother and son, should rob you of yours, you will be sure to find tender welcome and maternal cherishing from some Aunt Priscilla, who has kept the warmest corner of her lonely heart to her best nephew in the world. Joe must have fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has during this little homely, for suddenly Laurie's ghost seemed to stand before her, a substantial, lifelike ghost, leaning over her with the very look he used to wear when he felt a good deal and didn't like to show it, but like Jenny in the ballad. She could not think it he, and lay staring up at him in startled silence, till he stooped and kissed her, 
Then she knew him and flew up, crying joyfully, Oh, my Teddy, oh, my Teddy, dear Joe, you are glad to see me then? Glad, my blessed boy, words can't express my gladness. Where is Amy? Your mother has got her down at Max. We stopped there by the way, and there was no getting my wife out of her clutches. Your what? cried Joe, for Lore uttered those two words with an unconscious pride and satisfaction which betrayed him. Oh, the dickens, now I've done it, and he looked so guilty that Joe was down on him like a flash. You have gone and got married? Yes, please, but I never will again, and he went down upon his knees with a penny and clasping of hands and a face full of mischief, mirth, and triumph. Actually married? Very much so, thank you. Mercy on us, what dreadful thing will you do next? And Joe fell into her seat with a gasp. A characteristic, but not exactly complimentary congratulation returned Laurie, still in an abject attitude, but beaming with satisfaction. What do you expect when you take one's breath away, creeping in like a burglar and letting cats out of bags like that? Get up, you ridiculous boy, and tell me all about it. Not a word, unless you let me come in my old place and promise not to barricade. Joe laughed at that, as she had not done for many a long day, and patted the sofa invitingly, as she said in a cordial tone. The old pillow is up, Garrett, and we don't need it now, so come and fast, Teddy. How good it sounds to hear you say Teddy. No one ever calls me that but you, and Laurie sat down with an air of great content. What does Amy call you? My lord. That's like her. Well, you look it, and Joe's eye plainly betrayed that she found her boy comelier than ever. The pillow was gone, but there was a barricade, nevertheless a natural one, raised by time absence and change of heart. Both felt it and for a minute looked at one another, as if that invisible barrier cast a little shadow over them. It was gone directly, however, for Laurie said, with a vain attempt at dignity, Don't I look a married man and the head of a family? Not a bit, and you never will. You have grown bigger and bonnier, but you are the same scapegrace as ever. Now really, Joe, you ought to treat me with more respect, began Laurie, who enjoyed it all immensely. How can I, when the mere idea of you, married and settled, is so irresistibly funny that I can't keep sober, answered Joe, smiling all over her face, so infectiously that they had another good laugh, and then settled down for a good talk, quite in the pleasant old fashion. It's no use your going out in the cold to get Amy, for they are all coming up presently. I couldn't wait. I wanted to be the one to tell you the grand surprise, and have the first skim, as we used to say when we squabbled about the cream. Of course you did and spoiled your story by beginning at the wrong end. Now start right, and tell me how it all happened. I am pining to know. Well, I did it to please Amy, began Laurie, with a twinkle that made Joe exclaim. Fib number one. Amy did it to please you. Go on and tell the truth, if you can, sir. Now she is beginning to marm it. Isn't it jolly to hear her? said Laurie to the fire, and the fire glowed and sparkled, as if it quite agreed. It's all the same, you know, she and I being one. We planned to come home with the carols a month or more ago, but they suddenly changed their minds and decided to pass another winter in Paris. But Grandpa wanted to come home. He wanted to please me, and I could not let him go alone. Neither could I leave Amy, and Mrs. Carroll had got English notations about chaperons and such nonsense, and wouldn't let Amy come with us. So I settled the difficulty by saying, let's be married, and then we can do as we like. Of course you did. You always have things to suit you. Not always, and something in Laurie's voice made Joe say hastily, How did you ever get Aunt to agree? It was hard work, but between us we talked her over, for we had heaps of good reasons on our side, 
there wasn't time to write and ask leave but you all liked it and had consented to it by and by and it was only taking time by the fetlock as my wife says aren't we proud of those two words and don't we like to say them interrupted joe addressing the fire in her turn and watching with delight the happy light that seemed to kindle in the eyes that had been so tragically gloom when she saw them last a trifle perhaps she is such a captivating little woman i can't help being proud of her well then uncle and aunt were there to play propriety we were so absorbed in one another we were of no mortal use apart and that charming arrangement would make everything easy all around so we did it when where how asked joe in a fever of feminine interest and curiosity for she could not realize it a particle six weeks ago at the american consuls in paris a very quiet wedding of course for even our happiness we didn't forget dear little bess joe put her hand in his as he said that and laura gently smoothed the red little pillow which she remembered well why didn't you let us know afterward asked joe in a quieter tone when they had sat quite still for a minute we wanted to surprise you we thought we were coming directly home at first but the dear old gentleman as soon as we were married found he couldn't be ready under a month at least and sent us off to spend our honeymoon wherever we liked amy had once called while rosa a regular honeymoon home so we went there and were as happy as people are but once in their lives my face wasn't it love among the roses laurie seemed to forget joe for a minute and joe was glad of it for the fact that he told her these things so freely and so naturally assured her that he had quite forgiven and forgotten she tried to draw away her hand but as if he guessed the thought that prompted the half involuntary impulse laurie held it fast and said with a manly gravity she had never seen in him before joe dear i want to say one thing and then will put it by for ever as i told you in my letter when i wrote that amy had been so kind to me i shall never stop loving you but the love is altered and i have learned to see it is better as it is amy and you change places in my heart that's all i think it was meant to be so and would have come about naturally if i had waited as you tried to make me but i never could be patient and so i got a heartache i was a boy then headstrong and violent and it took a hard lesson to show my mistake for it was one joe as you said and i found it out after making a fool of myself upon my word i wasn't so tumbled up in my mind at one time that i didn't know which i loved best you and amy and tried to love you both alike but i couldn't and when i saw her in switzerland everything seemed to clear up all at once you both got into your right places and i felt sure that it was well off with the old love before it was on with the new that i could honestly share my heart between sister joe and wife amy and love them dearly will you believe it and go back to the happy old times when we first knew one another i'll believe it with all my heart but teddy we cannot be boy and girl again the happy old times can't come back and we mustn't expect it we are men and women now with sober work to do for playtime is over and we must give up frolicking i am sure you feel this i see the change in you and you'll find it in me i shall miss my boy but i shall love the man as much and admire him more because he means to be what i hoped he would we can't be little playmates any longer but we will be brother and sister to love and help one another all our lives won't we laurie he did not say a word but took the hand she offered him and laid his face down on it for a minute feeling that out of the grave of a boyish passion there had risen a beautiful strong friendship to bless them both presently joe said cheerfully for she didn't want the coming home to be a sad one i can't make it true that you children are really married and going to set up housekeeping 
why it seems only yesterday that i was buttoning amy's pinafore and pulling your hair when you teased mercy me how time does fly as one of the children is older than yourself you needn't talk so like grandma i flatter myself i'm a gentleman cold as peggot they said of david and when you see amy you'll find her a rather precocious infant said laurie looking amused at her maternal air you may be a little older in years but i'm never so much older in feeling teddy women always are and this last year has been such a hard one that i feel forty poor joe we left you to be at alone while we went pleasuring you are older here's a line and there's another unless you smile your eyes look sad and when i touched the cushion just now i found a tear on it you have had a great deal to bear and had to bear it all alone what selfish beast i've been and laurie pulled his own hair with a remorseful look but joe only turned over the traitorous pillow and answered in a tone which he tried to make more cheerful no i had father and mother to help me and the dear babies to comfort me and the thought that you and amy were safe and happy to make the troubles here seem easier to bear i am lonely sometimes but i dare say it's good for me and you shall never be again broke in laurie putting his arm about her as if to fence out every human ill amy and i can't get on without you so you must come and teach the children to keep the house and go halves in everything just as we used to and let us pet you and all be blissfully happy and friendly together if i shouldn't be in the way it would be very pleasant i begin to feel quite young already for somehow all my troubles seemed to fly away when you came you always were a comfort teddy and joe leaned her head on his shoulder just as she did years ago when bess lay ill and laurie told her to hold on to him he looked down at her wondering if she remembered the time but joe was smiling to herself as if in truth her troubles had all vanished at his coming you are the same joe still dropping tears about one minute and laughing the next you look a little wicked now what is it grandma i was wondering how you and amy get on together like angels yes of course but which rules i don't mind telling you that she does now at least i let her think so it pleases her you know by and by we shall take turns for marriage they say halves one's right and doubles one's duties you'll go on as you begin and amy will rule you all the days of your life well she does it so imperceptibly that i don't think i shall mind much she is the sort of woman who knows how to rule well in fact i rather like it for she winds one around her finger as softly and prettily as the skin of silk and makes you feel as if she was doing you a favor all the while that ever i should live to see you a hempacked husband and enjoying it cried joe with uplifted hands it was good to see laurie square his shoulders and smile a masculine scorn at that insinuation as he replied with his high and mighty air amy is too well bred for that and i am not the sort of man to submit to it my wife and i respect ourselves and one another too much ever to tyrannize or quarrel joe liked that and thought the new dignity very becoming but the boy seemed changing very fast into a man and regret mingled with her pleasure i am sure of that amy and you never did quarrel as we used to she is the sun and i the wind in the fable and the sun managed the man best you remember she can blow him up as well as shine on him laughed laurie such a lecture as i got at nice i give you my word it was a deal worse than any of your scoldings a regular rouser i'll tell you all about it some time she never will because after telling me that she despised and was ashamed of me she lost her heart to a despicable man and married a good-for-nothing what baseness well if she abuses you come to me and i'll defend you i look as if i need it don't i 
said Laurie, getting up and striking an attitude which suddenly changed from the imposing to the rapturous as amy's voice was heard calling where is she where's my dear old joe in trooped the whole family and everybody was hugged and kissed all over again and after several vain attempts the three wanderers were set down to be looked at and exalted over mr lawrence hale and hearty as ever was quite as much improved as the others by his foreign tour for the crustiness seemed to be nearly gone and the old-fashioned courtliness had received a polish which made it kindlier than ever it was good to see him beam at my children as he called the young pair it was better still to see amy pay him a daughterly duty and affection which completely won his old heart and best of all to watch lorry revolve about the two as if never tired of enjoying the pretty picture they made the minute she put her eyes upon amy meg became conscious that her own dress hadn't a parisian air that young miss moffat would be entirely eclipsed by young miss lawrence and that her ladyship was altogether a most elegant and graceful woman joe thought as she watched the pair how well they look together i was right and laurie has found the beautiful accomplished girl who will become his home better than the clumsy old joe and be a bride not a torment to him mrs march and her husband smiled and nodded at each other with happy faces for they saw that the youngest had done well not only in worldly things but the better wealth of love confidence and happiness for amy's face was full of the soft brightness which betokens a peaceful heart her voice had a new tenderness in it and the cool grim carriage was changed to a gentle dignity both womanly and winning no little affectations marred it and the cordial sweetness of her manner was more charming than the new beauty or the old grace for it stamped her at once with the unmistakable sign of the true gentlewoman she had hoped to become love has done so much for a little girl said the mother softly she has had a good example before her all her life my dear mr march whispered back with a laughing look at the worn face and grey head beside him daisy found it impossible to keep her eyes off her pity auntie but attached herself like a lap-dog to the wonderful shetland full of delightful charms demi paused to consider the new relationship before he compromised himself by the rash acceptance of a bribe which took the tempting form of a family of wooden bears from burn a flank movement proceeded in unconditional surrender however for Laurie knew where to have him young man when i first had the honour of making your acquaintance you hit me in the face now i demand the satisfaction of a gentleman and with that the tall uncle proceeded to toss and tussle the small nephew in a way that damaged his philosophical dignity as much as it delighted his boyish soul blessed if she ain't in silk from head to foot ain't it a relishing sight to see her setting there as fine as a fiddle and a happy procession as filed away from the little dining-room mr march proudly escorted mrs lawrence mrs march was proudly leaned off the arm of my son the old gentleman took joe with a whispered you must be my girl now and a glance at the empty corner by the fire made joe whisper back i'll try to fill her space sir the twins pranced behind feeling that the millennium was at hand for everyone was so busy with the newcomers that they were left to revel at their own sweet well and you may be sure they made the most of the opportunity didn't they steal sips of tea stuff gingerbread at libertum get a hot biscuit apiece and as a crowning trespass didn't they each whisk a captivating little tart into their tiny pockets there to stick and crumble treacherously teaching them both that human nature and the pastry are frail burdened with the guilty conscience of the sequestered tarts and fearing that dodo's sharp eyes would pierce the thin disguise of cambric and merino which hid their booty the little sinners attached themselves to trentpa who hadn't his spectacles on 
Amy, who was handed about like refreshments, returned to the parlor on Father Lawrence's arm. They had thus paired off as before, and this arrangement left Joe companionless. She did not mind it a minute, for she lingered to answer Hannah's eager inquiry. Will Miss Amy ride in her coupé and use all the lovely silver dishes that stored away over yonder? Shouldn't wonder if she drove six white horses, eight of golden plate, and wore diamonds and point lace every day. Teddy thinks nothing too good for her, returned Joe with infinite satisfaction. No more days. Will you have hash or fish balls for breakfast? asked Hannah, who wisely mingled poetry and prose. I don't care, and Joe shut the door, feeling that food was an uncongenial topic just then. She stood a minute looking at the party vanishing above, and as Demi's short plaid legs toiled up the last stair, a sudden sense of loneliness came over her so strongly that she looked about her with dim eyes, as if to find something to lean upon, for even Teddy had deserted her. If she had known what birthday gift was coming every minute nearer and nearer, she would not have said to herself, I'll weep a little weep when I go to bed. It won't do to be dismal now. Then she drew her hand over her eyes, for one of her boyish habits was never to know where her handkerchief was, and had just managed to call up a smile when there came a knock at the porch door. She opened with hospitable haste, and stared as if another ghost had come to surprise her, for there stood a tall bearded gentleman, beaming on her from the darkness like a midnight sun. "'Oh, Mr. Barr, I am so glad to see you,' cried Joe with a clutch, as if she feared the night would swallow him up before she could get him in. "'And I to see Miss March. But now you have a party, and the professor paused, as the sound of voices and the tap of dancing feet came down to them. No, we haven't, only the family. My sister and friends have just come home, and we are all very happy. Come in and make one of us. Though a very social man, I think Mr. Barr would have gone decorously away, and come again another day. But how could he, when Joe shut the door behind him and bereft him of his hat? Perhaps her face had something to do with it for she forgot to hide her joy at seeing him, and showed it with a frankness that proved irresistible to the solitary man, whose welcome far exceeded his boldest hopes. If I shall not be Monsieur de Troyes, I will so gladly see them all. You have been ill, my friend? He put the question abruptly, for, as Joe hung up his coat, the light fell on her face and he saw the change in it. Not ill, but tired and sorrowful. We have had trouble since I saw you last. Ah, yes, I know. My heart was sore for you when I heard that and he shook her hands again with such a sympathetic face that joe felt as if no comfort could equal the look of the kind eyes the grasp of the big warm hand father mother this is my friend professor barr she said with a face and tone of such irrepressible pride and pleasure that she might as well have blown a trumpet and opened the door with a flourish if the stranger had any doubts about his reception they were set at rest in a minute by the cordial welcome he received Every one greeted him kindly, for Joe's sake at first, but very soon they liked him for his own. They could not help it, for he carried the talisman that opens all hearts, and these simple people warmed to him at once, feeling even more friendly because he was poor, for poverty enriches those who live above it, and is a sure passport to truly hospitable spirits. Mr. Barr sat looking about him with the air of a traveller who knocks at a strange door, and when it opens finds himself at home. The children went to him like bees to a honey-pot, and establishing themselves on each knee, proceeded to captivate him by rifling his pockets, pulling his beard, and investigating his watch, with juvenile audacity. The women telegraphed their approval to one another, and Mr. March, feeling that he had a kindred spirit, opened his choicest store for the guest's benefit, while silent John listened and enjoyed the talk, but said not a word, and Mr. Lawrence found it impossible to go to sleep. 
if joe had not been otherwise engaged lorry's behaviour would have amused her for a faint twinge not of jealousy but something like suspicion caused the gentleman to stand aloof at first and observe the newcomer with brotherly circumspection but it did not last long he got interested in spite of himself and before he knew it was drawn into the circle for mr barr talked well in this genial atmosphere and did himself justice he seldom spoke to lorry but he looked at him often and a shadow would pass across his face as if regretting his own lost youth as he watched the young man in his prime then his eyes would turn to joe so wistfully that she would have surely answered the mute inquiry if she had seen it but joe had her own eyes to take care of and feeling that they could not be trusted she prudently kept them on the little sock she was knitting like a model maiden aunt a stealthy glance now and then refreshed her like sips of fresh water from a dusty walk for the sidelong peeps showed her several preposterous omens mr barr's face had lost the absent-minded expression and looked all alive with interest in the present moment actually young and handsome she thought forgetting to compare him with lorry as she usually did with strange men to their great detriment then he seemed quite inspired to the burial customs of the ancients to which the conversation had strayed might not be considered an exhilarating topic joe quite glowed with triumph when teddy got quenched in an argument and thought to herself as she watched her father's absorbed face how would he enjoy having such a man as my professor to talk with every day lastly mr barr was dressed in a new suit of black which made him look more like a gentleman than ever his bushy hair had been cut and smoothly brushed but didn't stay in order long for in exciting moments he rumpled it up in a droll way he used to do and joe liked it rampantly erect better than flat because she thought it gave his fine forehead a jove-like aspect poor joe how did she glorify the plain man as she sat knitting away so quietly yet letting nothing escape her not even the fact that mr barr actually had gold-sleeved buttons in his immaculate wristbands dear old fellow he couldn't have got himself up with more care if it had been going to a wooing said joe to herself and then a sudden thought born on the words made her blush so dreadfully that she had to drop her ball and go down after it to hide her face the manoeuvre did not succeed as well as she expected however for though just in the act of setting fire to a funeral pyre the professor dropped his torch metaphorically speaking and made a dive after the little blue ball of course they bumped their heads smartly together saw stars and both came up flushed and loving without the ball to resume their seats wishing they had not left them nobody knew where the evening went to for hannah skilfully abstracted the babies at an early hour nodding like two rosy poppies and mr lawrence went home to rest the others sat around the fire talking away utterly regardless of the lapse of time till mag whose maternal was impressed by a firm conviction that davy had tumbled out of bed and demi set his nightgown afire studying the structure of matches made a move to go we must have our thing in the good old way for we are all together again once more said joe feeling that a good shout would be a safe and pleasant vent for the jubilant emotions of her soul they were not all there but no one found the words thoughtless or untrue for bess still seemed among them a peaceful presence invisible but dearer than ever since death could not break the household league that love made dissolutable the little chair stood in its old place the tidy basket with the bit of work she left unfinished when the needle grew so heavy was still on its accustomed shelf the beloved instrument seldom touched now had not been moved and above it bess face serene and smiling as in the early days looked down upon them seeming to say be happy i am here play something amy let them hear how much you have improved said lorry with a pardonable pride in his promising pupil 
but amy whispered with full eyes as she twirled the faded stool not to-night dear i can't show off to-night but she did show something better than brilliancy or skill for she sang best song with a tender music in her voice which the best master could not have taught and touched the listeners hearts as a sweeter power than any other inspiration could have given her the room was very still when the clear voice failed suddenly at the last line of best favorite written it was hard to say earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal and amy leaned against her husband who stood behind her feeling that her welcome home was not quite perfect without best kiss now we must finish the minion's song for mr bear thinks that said joe before the pause grew painful and mr bar cleared his throat with a gratified hum as he stepped into the corner where joe stood saying you will sing with me we go excellently well together a pleasing fiction by the way for joe had no more idea of music than a grasshopper but she would have consented if he had proposed to sing the whole opera and warbled away blissfully regardless of time and tune didn't much matter that mr bar sang like a true german heartily and well and joe soon subsided into a subdued hum that she might listen to the mellow voice that seemed to sing for her alone knowst thou the land where the citron blooms we used to be the professor's favorite line for this land went germany to him and now he seemed to dwell with particular warmth and melody upon the words there o oh there might i with thee o oh my beloved go and one listener was so thrilled by the tender invitation that she longed to say she didn't know the land and would joyfully depart thither whenever he liked the song was considered a great success and the singer retired covered with laurels but a few minutes afterwards he forgot his manners entirely and stared at amy putting on her bonnet for she had been introduced simply as my sister and no one had called her by her new name since she came he forgot himself still further when laurie said in his most gracious manner at parting my wife and i are very glad to meet you sir please remember that there is always a welcome waiting for you over the way then the professor thanked him so heartily and looked so suddenly illuminated with satisfaction that laurie thought him the most delightful demonstrative old fellow he had ever met i too shall go but i shall gladly come again if you will give me leave dear madam for a little business in the city will keep me here some days he spoke to mrs march but he looked at joe and the mother's voice gave as cordial an assent as did the daughter's eyes for mrs march was not so blind to her children's interest as mrs moffat supposed i suspect that is a wise man remarked mr march with blessed satisfaction from the hearth-rug after the last guest had gone i know he is a good one added mrs march with decided approval as she wound up the clock i thought you'd like him was all joe said as she slipped away to her bed she wondered what business was that brought mr bar to the city and finally decided that he had been appointed to some great honor somewhere but had been too modest to mention the fact if she had seen his face when safe in his own room he looked at the picture of a severe and rigid young lady with a good deal of hair who appeared to be gazing darkly into futurity it might have thrown some light upon the subject especially when he turned off the gas and kissed the picture in the dark End of chapter twenty recording by Ellie august two thousand nine